Welcome to Book Bosomed, where we give new looks to old books. I'm Hannah. I'm Michelle. I'm Grace. Uh, this week we're talking about Far From the Matting Crowd. Very excited. What were overall thoughts, you guys? Uh, well, I have you read it before, Grace or Hannah? Had you three of you read it before? I'd read it before. Um, I had read it in like snippets I'd never I don't know why I'd like never actually sat down and just read the whole book in one go so this was quite a new experience for me okay I've read this is my first time reading it all the way through um because I watched the movie with Carrie Mulligan about five times so I've seen that film but I actually <laughs> hadn't read the book until now so there is are a like good some adaptation yeah yeah it is very good but there are some um really specific differences which are kind of interesting right but anyway so um did you like it I enjoyed it yeah did you like it Grace I absolutely loved it I absolutely loved it it's like a hundred percent up by my top five now I was so obsessed with it it is very much like oh my gosh I loved it so much farmer we'll get into the plot summary but farmer oak is is honestly rivaling Adam Bede for me in terms of my literary <gasps> no. obsessed with. No. I really? I just pictured the cutest little, like, round, lovely man. And I just don't know why, but I was just like, <laughs> I love him. I don't think he's I don't think he's quite as masculine as Adam B. I think I like Adam B more. But I do think he's, <laughs> yeah, he's more constant. He's actually more constant and a little softer, maybe, than Adam Bede's. So Yeah, and I think I just love um, that. I yeah. love like the um almost like it's almost like a feminine energy and I don't know if that's a rude I don't know if that's how people would interpret that but men that have a, a feminine sort of softer side well fun fact this was published you know like in a magazine and the spectator right. actually thought it was written by a woman and actually <gasps> suggested it was written by um George Eliot because oh, of Adam yeah. Bede so like fun fact that's so interesting. I saw a comparison in something yeah. I read. Yeah. Ah, well, ah. well, we can do a plot summary and then we can um, crack on and talk a little bit more about uh, Tom Hardy because not, do you know, I was about to say, oh, interesting character, but actually not a great deal that goes on in that man's life. Um, Tom Hardy, probably one of the least interesting person. Really? Yeah. It's really not that interesting, <laughs> but anyway. So I'm going to try to do this quickly, but we'll see how it goes. So um, Far From the Madding Crowd was published in 1874. The movie that Michelle is referring to with Kerry Mulligan came out in 2015. Um, interesting fact the title refers to the peasants in Thomas Gray's Elegy written in a country ch- churchyard. You know, the one um, that we actually read in our master's, 1759. I do. Where, yeah. Um, yeah. Thomas Gray says, far from the madding crowd's ignorable strife and in the cool sequestered value of life. I did not know that. Anyway, so this whole thing is set in Wessex, which is Tom Hardy's like fictional England. There's a young farmer called Farmer Oak or Gabriel Oak who meets a poor but beautiful woman called Bathsheba on um, his neighbor's farm. 
Again, I do this every single time. Bathsheba. How do you say that? Is um, that I don't know. That? That's how I would say it. Bathsheba. But you could also, um, it, I feel like in the movie they say Bathsheba, or maybe not really. I can't remember. But that is a whole other conversation coming up. So Bathsheba, Bathsheba. is fine. I don't know. Sounds good to me. Bathsheba. Maybe that rolls off the tongue a little bit better. We'll call her Bathsheba. So <laughs> anyway, um, Farmer Oak and Bathsheba get on great have some good banter she saves him while his hut is basically on fire one night and so he obviously falls in love with her proposes she rejects him because she doesn't love him uh a while passes she disappears oak ends up losing all of his sheep the poor shepherd and goes to this nearby nearby town called weatherby to find work um at this town he asks the local mistress if she needs a shepherd and it turns out that that mistress is Bathsheba who has inherited her uncle's fortune and farm and now is a rich beautiful woman who is still single so Oak ends up becoming a really good friend to her throughout the novel he sort of witnesses everything and gives his two cents and he fancies the pants of her the whole time but we'll get back to that so Bathsheba has a little crush on her neighbour, Mr. Boldwood, who is old and rich and has never been married, is a bit of a bachelor. Um, but she, you know, it's a tiny crush. She sends him a silly little valentine, gets over it immediately. But he becomes obsessive and ends up proposing to her. Again, she says no because she doesn't love him, but she agrees to reconsider after a certain period of time has passed. Meanwhile, she meets this sort of savvy, suave soldier called Sergeant Troy, who totally sweeps her off her feet. Number one F-boy I think mm-hmm. I've ever read in any book. Swordplay. Um, Bathsheba doesn't know that Troy has recently impregnated and nearly married a local girl who had actually disappeared from the village called Fanny Robin. Uh, Boldwood is really pissed that Bathsheba's vibing with Troy, so Bathsheba goes to bath to warn Troy about Boldwood and um, there Troy convinces her to marry him so they get married Farmer Oak is really bleak about the marriage doesn't approve and eventually it comes out that poor Fanny Robin has become a penniless pregnant lady waiting on Troy to come back and marry her Um, and he has been in denial and pretended that he doesn't know who Fanny is to Bathsheba Bathsheba I don't know whatever and this poor girl Fanny dies in childbirth and soon enough everyone works out that Troy was the father and the reason that she, um, she ran away and became homeless. So Troy ends up running away as well. Everyone thinks that he's drowned in the ocean. They find his clothes, but not him. So, you know, everyone's like, cool, she's single. A single chick again goes into mourning. Um, and Boldwood obviously steps in straight away, sees his opportunity. Um, but as it turns out, classic, Troy didn't die, just disappeared for a while. <laughs> and eventually comes back to Bathsheba wanting to win her back. And the way he does this in the climax of the novel is very dramatic. It's Baldwood's Christmas party. Baldwood has just proposed to Bathsheba again and she's finally agreed to marry him. And then Troy just like jumps into the, the uh, sort of entrance hall and grabs Bathsheba and then Boldwood actually shoots him and he dies in the middle of Boldwood's house. Um, Boldwood tries to shoot himself and then is stopped by the local villagers. He leaves and turns himself in and is sentenced to life imprisonment. Um, Troy is symbolically buried in the same grave as little Fanny and Bathsheba ends up marrying the only good person in the entire novel, Farmer Oak. Full circle, happy ending, Farmer Oak. (laughs) <laughs> so I think the reason I love Farmer Oak is because he's just like a constant presence in the book in a way that is so comforting and supporting, but he still says what he thinks and doesn't sort of ever waver in his beliefs, has a really sort of strong moral compass. 
I just loved him. Yeah, he's great. And when you compare the different types of masculinity in this book, you know, like between Boldwood, Troy, and Farmer Oak, it's three very different types of male character. Absolutely. So what what are the other types? Did you Hannah? Do you um? What do you think about Boldwood? What do you think about Troy? Well, I think we all hate Troy. I feel like Troy is the Wickham of this story. <laughs> if we're like comparing mm, it to kind Pride of, and Prejudice, right? like yeah, he's, yeah. yes. Yes, yeah. who's like just wants everybody to love him and is like not ready to commit to anybody until it's like too late and she's dead and she he's like oh I would have married her I would have done the right thing should have would have could have didn't but didn't and probably actually wouldn't have um, and then Baldwin I don't really like Baldwin I think he's just like the old man who's used to getting everything he wants and then when is denied he's like I'm going to get what I want anyway like I'm just gonna keep bugging her until she gives in to me yeah I mean he is completely obsessive he did seem a little spoiled yeah didn't he he was like spoiled he's like I didn't even want you and then you made me want you so now you have to have me yeah now I have to have you yeah right right all right so what I thought um uh Troy the soldier Troy um I was shocked in the book he like um, when he goes to the church and Fanny goes to the wrong church, which of course happens in the movie also, but in uh, the book, it is the same day. He goes outside after waiting for her and she sees him in the square and she's like, oh, I thought it was the other church. Can't we just reschedule and do it tomorrow? And he says, no, I won't be in those shoes again. I mean, it's the same day. It's not like where they wait in the movie and it's sort of like a buildup of like sort of this sad thing. So, boy, he I think he's way more dislikable in the book than he is in the movie. At least in the movie, he sort of like, I don't know, there's a little bit of redemption. But in the, the book, the novel, certainly none. He's like abandons her the day of. Like he sees her in the square and she's like, I went to the wrong church. And he's like, all right, sorry, see you later. Troy is... He's just a classic sort of non-committal playboy, yeah. f boy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but also then Baldwood is basically. I imagine that Troy is what Baldwood used to be. Oh, do you and think? And Baldwood is just a bit older, and that's why Baldwood gets so annoyed when he hears that Bathsheba is um, sort of flirting with Troy because it's almost like he sees himself in Troy because he Baldwood's in his forties and is never married is sort of a, a, the landed gentry, has obviously always got his way. But I think, you know, surely he seems like he was someone that also did the rounds of having a bit of fun, you know? Or right. is that just me um, being know. so pessimistic about these men? I don't know. I don't know, because it really doesn't tell us anything about his former life. Um, I will tell you that I read, I, I kind of thought this anyway, but then I did read some backing for this. Um, in an article, and it was about all of their names, which I thought was really interesting. So, um, as you can imagine, Farmer Oak, right, is like, like, sh- like uh, she, I almost said she, um, um, Thomas Hardy chose names that gave his opinion of the characters. So, Farmer Oak, of course, is very strong, like an oak tree, and sort of is firmly planted and rooted. Troy is supposed to remind us of the fall of Troy, where he's supposed to be this heroic, um, 
sort of soldier and then he falls you know he falls and then everdeen of course bashba everdeen mm, is so uh, her name is supposed to remind us of evergreen which brings us into sort of like pastoral things for the for the uh, names and boldwood of course is somebody who is pastoral because he's working on the farm but he is a little bit more bold like we've just said like he sort of has his way um all the people the sort of the uh, Fanny Robin, Joseph Poorgrass, and I forgot this, the one guy, Moon, Mr. Moon, they are all pastoral names, sort of like it's a romantic view of the the people who are working the land and associated with the land. Um, and then Pennyways, of course, is the man who's like, he named him because he thinks, uh, you know, he's somebody who's like stealing and some, he gets, you know, his pennies in different ways. Anyway, the thing I think is really odd is when I was reading about those names is, um, it, I, I don't know what anybody's background is on this or their context, but the only other name I've ever, the only other time I've ever seen the name Bathsheba, of course, is Bathsheba. I've heard it pronounced that way in the story mm-hmm. of, um, the, the King in David the in the Bible. And so he has an affair or he actually demands that Bathsheba, like he's already married, he has a couple wives, and then he sees Bathsheba. Of course, she's bathing on a rooftop. I don't know if that has to do with her name, Bathsheba or Bathsheba, whatever. Anyway, so she's bathing <laughs> on the rooftop, um, and he uh, wants her. So he makes her come to wherever it is that he lives. I don't know if they don't really call it a castle, but wherever it is, his palace or wherever it is. But her... Um, her uh, they're at war. He sends her husband out to the front line. Uh, his name is Uriah, so that he is killed, um, so that he can have his way with Bathsheba, and she becomes one of his wives. And she and so David and Bathsheba, um, one of their children is Solomon, who is King Solomon. If you've ever like heard of King Solomon, and right. um, sort of. Jewish history or in history in general it doesn't have to be Jewish history but anyway so it's interesting like that they use that name because that's the only other time I've heard the name Bathsheba or Bathsheba I don't know how you've heard it pronounced yeah that's what I thought of so what do you think is this like significance behind using that name that that biblical name from that story because it doesn't sound like they're similar stories well when Gabriel first sees her it is like he's like spying on her True, true. And she's, she's like looking bathing. at herself in the mirror. No, no, but it, that's what I thought of. I was like, oh, he's looking in on her uh, and then wants her. Yeah, he but is. Obviously he wants very her. Different he outcomes, does want her. You're right. They all kind of want her. And like, I also like, I didn't catch the like Everdeen, Troy, those kind of connections, but Farmer Oak's first name is Gabriel. So like the archangel was immediately oh, right. what I thought of. I didn't think about that. Okay. So now I have another question. Um, I, whenever I read this, I always think it's a little bit interesting that, uh, maybe I'm jumping ahead, that Bathsheba is somebody who has a choice in these three men, which is extremely unusual at this particular time in the historic context of the writing, especially since it's written by a male rather than a female author. Maybe the male author has more room to do that. But um, she has a choice between these three men. And then I think it's interesting that Suzanne Collins, who wrote the Hunger Games series, calls Katniss, uses her last name, Everdeen. And I think that's really interesting because I don't know if there's a connection because Katniss Everdeen is a 
is sort of a modern heroine who actually is choosing and making choices between um, Gale and Pita. And I don't think there's not really a third person, but I just find it interesting that of all the names, really, she used Katniss Everdeen. And then as soon as I read Bathsheba, as soon as I saw the movie, actually, the first time I thought there's there must be some connection. She must have read Far From the Madding Crowd or I don't know. What do you guys think about that? That's so interesting. interesting. But I I don't, to be honest with the name, the naming conventions, I actually, I didn't even, I'm terrible with biblical stories, which is something I really need to get better at. So I didn't pick up on any of that kind of stuff. But um, what I did read in an article, a journal article I was reading yesterday was that um, it was talking about the pastoral. So it's Farmer Oak and the names like that, obviously, which are very pastoral. But it said that Bathsheba Everdeen is the plot center of the book. But Farmer Oak is the thematic centre of the book. And they were sort of analysing how um, Hardy's pastoral is sort of a convergence between the underlying pastoral that just runs constant throughout the book and then the romantic, tumultuous uh, plot that runs on top of that. Like the pastoral is just the setting through which the romantic um, drama is taking place but when they said farm oak is a thematic center i just really like that idea he's just like the constant he certainly is yeah yeah i agreed i see that very clearly yeah Uh, yeah because i feel like bathsheba doesn't really well i guess farmer oak doesn't necessarily change throughout the novel too either but i feel like his perspective is the one we care about more right well and he's also a little bit um he's not uh, he's not arrogant but he is super confident when he's like you know the whole beggars can't be choosers where she has to come back and um where she has to send for him and say can you please come back um i forget what her note says and you know will you please come and save oh, don't me, abandon or rescue? me don't abandon yeah. me that's it don't abandon me yeah when she writes that and of course we know that he's not going to abandon her even though we think he I don't know. At some point, we think he should. Should. Yeah. And like, really? Yeah, like, how long is he going to wait around for her? Right? But, I mean, I don't know. I think he's pretty patient. Oh, he's so patient. Pays off in the end, doesn't it? Yeah. What's the big <laughs> deal? Is she, I mean, she's beautiful, apparently. I don't know. The only thing I'm looking at in my brain is Carrie Mulligan as um, Bathsheba. And so, of course, she's absolutely beautiful in the film. But, um, I mean, that's how she's described and as somebody who's very educated, but do- is poor and doesn't have money in the beginning. But then, of course, that switches, which is relates to another article I read that there's uh, two governing things um, that attaches one attaches to what you said, Grace, how um, sorry, there's like the nature and the pastoral and sort of he is Hardy is sort of juxtaposing the natural and the civilized and thinks that the natural Mm -hmm. is far superior to the civilized which is very self-centered so while we see little snippets of farmer oak being very like uh, he knows he's very confident about his abilities and what he does it's confident in sort of the old the the natural way rather than in sort of the the new mechanized way of the civilized world after you know post um, industrial revolution and and that sort of thing. So, so I, I was reading that this book was sort of inspired by Adam Bede and a lot of George Eliot, like C- Silas, Marina, Marna, can't remember. Silas Marner. That right? one, Silas, <laughs> Silas Marner. Um, that, yeah, so it was inspired by those, but I, I don't remember Adam Bede 
having as much of a pull between the civilized and the sort of traditional as much as this book does. Um, maybe that's because they're sort of less, uh, less uh, directly juxtaposing characters. Um, but honestly, I wasn't thinking about sort of like civilized in this book. I, I never thought about it. Uh, yeah, I didn't either, to be fair. Well, the only place they go that's really civilized is it's kind of, you know what? I'm just realizing it is kind of like Adam Bede when, remember, is this soldier or I guess he's just the Lord and he's kissing the girl by, I've forgotten their names now, but the by the gate and then the Lord oh, sort of name? like disappears, yeah. right? And she is pregnant. So she sort of, I didn't Penny? even think Pen about Penny? that. Penny? Is her name Penny? It starts with an H, I think. Might be. Something like that. But she does disappear, right? They go like into town and sort of like civilized society. They go there while everybody else, including Adam Bede, is just in the countryside forever. Just like, I didn't even get that, far from the madding crowd, how he, Farmer Oak, is just in the countryside. This is what he does. He's roaming around, trying to find work. And then when, um, sorry, I almost called her Katniss, when Bathsheba <laughs> then is when Bathsheba runs off with Troy, they go to the city. They go to Bath. I, I, and I forgot. They like, do her go name to Bath. Is Bathsheba, whatever. They go to Bath yes. and run off and get married there. Um, and that's and where I think Joseph Porgrass sees them, right? He's like, I saw the mistress in Bath or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, and that's really, so it's just a very far away glimpse at sort of like the city, if you will. Um, but most of the book takes place in the countryside, just like in Adam Bede. But I'd forgotten that totally is she. It, yeah. You can see exactly where it came from. That totally makes sense. But it's almost like that's such a small part of the entire plot. It is very they, small. They go to Bath. I mean, a big event happens there, but they're not there for very long, and we don't hear much about Bath itself. Right. And also, I have another question that maybe we don't have an answer to. Why is it always Bath? Because Austin. Northanger Abbey, they go to Bath. They spend half the novel in Bath. Um, all of these, uh, I'm trying to think of all, all these other examples, but it's literally like every single English novel from the 1800s, they always go to Bath. What was going on in Bath? I think that's where they went to show off their money. I mean, that's the, the circus, right? Is where you, the promenade, the promenade, I don't know, like where people like are going around the front and then um, on the backside. I don't know. I just remember touring in Bath. I don't know, but I... Is it a place where people go and it's like a playground? I don't know. I think it was just a very popular spot to travel to. Like her characters travel there, but like also Jane Austen traveled to Bath and lived in Bath. Like I think it was just a place people went to like show off their money, but it would be interesting to read more about that. Right. Well, because... they're going to take the waters, right? They're going to drink the waters out of the uh, natural mineral springs or wherever they are so that they can become younger or their ailments are cured or something like that so that is part of it but it doesn't seem to be like when they go to bath it doesn't seem like that at all it just seems like the city that's close to them like it's not like they're going out of their way to go to bath i reckon that there would be a lot of a lot i actually should have looked it up but i reckon that they're like obviously wessex is a fictional oh, county oh, right. wessex. um that thomas hardy created that's inspired by um sort of the old kingdoms of of the middle ages wessex and sussex and um essex which are all actually still in place but wessex i don't know why wessex disappeared so i i think it's also interesting that he creates a fictional uh, a fictional county with fictional towns and but still includes a real place like Bath and everything that Bath represents into his fictional town like fictional county 
Um, True, which is kind right. Of, and of course it would be in Wessex, right? That makes yeah, sense. it would be. Yeah, so I, I always sort of wondered about that. That's sort of a very weird mix of fictional versus fact that he does there. Um, but he, as I said earlier, a bit of a boring character. Not a great deal going on in Hardy's life. The only thing that I kind of learned about him that I think couldn't have inspired this book is that he grew up in rural South England um, in Dorset, uh, in the middle of the countryside in a little cottage and just loved nature. Have you seen pictures that, of it? He... Sorry, his cottage. Of his house? Yeah. No. It looks very pretty anyway. Look up pictures oh, really? of it. Yeah, I don't think that he, I think his family were sort of decently wealthy, middle class sort of vibes. And he studied as an architect in London. He was a bit poorly, so he ended up moving back to, back to Dorset. Um, but was an architect and then just wasn't making any money. And so when he was in his like late 20s, early 30s, then he started writing. Like not because he loved it, but because he needed money. <laughs> so Far From the Madding Crowd was his first um, successful book. He tried poetry at first, didn't work. Um, and then his last, uh, the last two books that he wrote were Tess and, um, and Jude the Obscure. So I also, because I've obviously read Tess and you guys know how I feel about Tess. I hate it. I absolutely despise it. It is the most depressing book. I, I know I know what it represents. I know that it's an important book in English lit, but I absolutely hate it. Um, so I went into this book kind of a little bit hesitant because my experience with Hardy has been very up and down. And this one I loved, but it is so different to Tess because, I mean, it was oh, written so sort of 20 years Tess. before he wrote yeah. Tess and, and things like that. His writing style, I guess, changed a lot in that time as well. Um but yeah, I thought for his first successful book, it, it did a really, it was a really good book. <laughs> well, I read. I'm curious. In, go ahead. I was just gonna say I was curious what she, he wrote before this, because I've not read Jude yet, but I've heard it's also quite depressing. So I just wonder where that started, because this book is happy. Mm. It ends happily. It's fun. Tess is very, very dark, and I, from what yeah. I know about Jude, also very, very dark. So was there like a gradual transition, or were we like? We turned a corner very sharply. Right, I agree. I'm just curious. I don't know, but I do think it's interesting that he is writing in the aftermath of George Eliot, who's a female writer and who's writing about sort of like she's exploring like stronger mm -hmm. female protagonists. And then Thomas Hardy, as a male, starts writing about a female protagonist who has choices because she has um, risen in class uh, just because of her inheritance, which I did read an article about that, about fate actually plays quite uh, a big role in, in the novel, Far From the Madding Crowd, where like it just turns out that her uncle dies and gives her his fortune. You know, yeah, the, happy accidents there. Right. Or, but there are also sad accidents where Farmer Oak, you know, his dog runs the, uh, who's not he's not he's overzealous and not trained enough like runs all of his sheep off of the cliff they die and then the um... stupidest animals though sheep wasn't surprised <laughs> at all when I read that I right. remember growing up on a farm and spending hours of my teenage years trying to herd sheep it is are you kidding? so stupid are you it kidding so no there's a video of my dad and I literally running around a field for like six hours trying to herd oh my sheep God. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, oh carry on. This is trauma. Oh, I would love to see that. I think that would be so funny. I can see uh, you running around trying to do it. And you're trying so to do the greatest crazy. job ever, right? Like, Dad, I'm going to help I my dad do it. I was being the sheepdog. 
<laughs> I can see that. Anyway. Um, but I thought it was interesting. So there's, you know, happy accidents and, or not accidents, but fateful things and um, unhappy fateful things. Um, but it's interesting that, like, just by a twist of fate, like, Bathsheba, you know, becomes sort of like an heiress to her uncle's property, and then she just takes over the farm. And then, of course, Farmer Oak runs into her and, you know, gets a job through her and everything. So there's all this faded stuff. Um, but it's interesting that he, meaning Thomas Hardy, is sort of talking about a really strong female protagonist on the heels of George Eliot. So the only thing that I could answer with that is that he married in... I, I, I can't remember if it was right before or right after. I think it was right before he wrote Far From the Madding Crowd. And it's, it's documented that his wife had a massive influence over his writing in terms of just really wanting him to pursue it and really helping him through the process. And I wonder if she had more sort of involvement in the plot than she is given credit for. We've spoken about this before. The women that write the novels are just sort of pushed to the side. The male takes all the credit. So I, I do wonder if, um, and but maybe it's a bit similar to Leo Tolstoy in terms of he was very good at writing women as well. I just do wonder how much influence his wife had over his writing as well. I would like to think she had a lot. <laughs> That's what I would like to think. Right. Well, and if Hannah, like, did you say, I don't remember what he was writing for, but we know this was like written in episodes. And so it's very soap opera like where what's going on here? Who's she going to be with? This is different because it's a female protagonist. And so if his wife is sort of like in the background, sort of helping him write from the female perspective, um, that does tell us a little bit about maybe why he was, he's pretty good about, yeah. tracks, he's pretty good yeah. at writing it yeah. does from track. a female. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, what do you yeah. think of Bathsheba? Because I found her a little bit irritating. She's very annoying. Um, <laughs> yes, but she's also, I kept thinking, oh, she's young, you know. She has to go through her, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs before you get to the prince, you know. She's got to go through being silly and naive and dumb and then she'll make the right decision in the end and obviously she does. But she is a bit annoying, isn't she? I just feel like she's very like flip floppy like she'll say something like I, I can't remember the scene but she says something to farmer oak and he's like you literally just told me this and she's like i would never say that, would you say that? And it's like no you literally two lines ago just said this i thought the, the funny thing is thomas hardy even though he's writing you know the female character he does put a couple snippets of sort of like interesting like this is kind of how I view females or this is how females are viewed and there's one line where he says something like or he writes something like um the characteristic of females is um oh I'm not going to remember it now uh they want to do what they want to do but they also want to be mastered Sometimes they want to, they always want to do what they want to do. They sometimes want to be mastered and then sometimes they want to be able to change their minds, right? It was kind of this wishy-washy line of this is the characteristic of a female. And I was thinking, okay, well, a man wrote that, but um, is that really far from the truth? I don't know. It was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> it was kind of embarrassing. Was like... As you were saying that, I saw Hannah shaking her head and I was like, oh, I kind of agree with that statement though. That's no. how I feel. <laughs> if, I feel like if a lady said it, I would be much more receptive to it. But like, do not, as a man, say that women like to be mastered. I'm, I don't. I don't love that. But sometimes I do love, you know, when it comes to picking where to eat for dinner, I don't want to make that decision. You know? <laughs> 
Yeah. Fair yeah. Enough. Well, and I, I, cut, I, during that line, I was thinking about Adam Bede too, saying like, you know, somebody's kind of back and forth and back and forth, and him finally saying, "Oh, just get on with it and come home," you know, or let's just like, I don't know. I, I thought there was a, I can't believe we're saying that out loud on a podcast. There's a little, maybe a tiny bit of truth to that, but maybe that's of course in older generations, not in newer. I don't know, or maybe that's true for romantic. Females. I think if, I we, if we're applying it to his characters, cool, you know, we'll talk about it in a fictional context. Yes, right. that is absolutely correct. Your characters are oh, like absolutely. that. That's interesting. I also read this article that talked about how he writes Bathsheba and how every time she's like given a compliment in the novel, it's always sep- um, separating her from the rest of women generally. In what um, way? Like, I didn't think like, about that. I wrote one down. Um, so this quote is, she speaks in a tone which showed her to be that novelty among women. One who finished a thought before beginning the sentence, blah, 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 blah. And the other one I ha- wrote down was, strange to say of a woman in bloom and vigor, she always allowed her enter, whatever that word is, and I can't read my handwriting, something to finish the statements before. So it's always like tampered with kind of backhand compliments <laughs> to women generally. <laughs> So you know this book was written by a man. Bathsheba is good because the rest of the women are trash, and she doesn't do that. Wow. Oh, but also kind of a standout. It's almost like, um, like the I think we've talked about this before, where like they, the author of course sort of puts her in competition with other women instead of women sort of bonding together to work together. Um, like that makes that's interesting. Yeah, like, there's not really much. Women do that, or men do that. But there's not really much sort of female competition in this book, is there? There's no, there's female camaraderie any. with um her sort of well, handmaiden or whatever. Right, Marian or Miriam. She has a little bit of competition with Fanny, just like over the attentions oh, of Troy. Duh! Oh my gosh! Sorry. Yes, you're completely yeah. right. She gets so because I didn't explain this in the plot summary, but one day, Bathsheba and Troy are. Uh, traveling between the towns and this beg you uh, sort of um, penniless beggar woman asks Troy for money and um, Bathsheba asks Troy do you know that woman and he says no and that is Fanny and Bathsheba immediately sort of has her heckles up you know women's intuition we know everything um, and she yeah. knows that that this that something is going on and she does get very jealous when she finds out that uh, Troy is the father of Fanny's um, now deceased baby um, yeah, and like so that's he, true, she finds the hair. Oh, the hair! Oh my gosh, I even forgot about the hair. Well, it's also a bit of a way that they're doing civilization versus the pastoral because of the name thing. Um, I read that because her name is Fanny Robin, she does die, sort of ashes to ashes, dust to dust. She dies in the country, very wholesome and nurturing with her baby, even though of course she's a fallen woman mm-hmm. or rejected woman. Her you know, she's the one that's suffering from mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But then Bathsheba is the one who's actually the more modern woman because she owns the farm and she has all the money and she's now making the choices. So they are set. At, so gosh, if you're looking at it that way, where he was saying that the pastoral was sort of the ideal and that the modern was sort of not. Now I have a very, maybe that skews my view on how I thought he was writing the book. Like he was kind mm-hmm. of, he was kind yeah. of giving praise to Fanny Robin over Bathsheba Everdeen. But she still dies. I mean, that's the thing that trips me up is because she's a fallen woman, she like she has to die. Like that's just the way yeah. it worked in novels. Yeah, so comparison between Tess and Fanny, because you can't compare Tess and Bathsheba. But right. they no. actually almost the same character, Tess and Fanny. 
Are they? Well, yeah, I guess they are, sort of. But you can They go also, through the can, same sort of journey, I guess. And the same, you could make the same comparison with Adam Bede and the girl, I can't remember what her name is in that. Is it, I can't remember what her name is. But anyway, she gets um, pregnant and remember, then she buries her mm-hmm. baby and mm-hmm. then she does go to jail. She's sentenced to be hanged. Um, she goes to a jail somewhere else. But I mean, that's a, you know, sort of a its own lots of different ways to deal with that i guess i'd never even put all that's like a major triangulation of events weird yeah i didn't put any of that together how how is that possible it's adam b we love that book i just as we're talking about it i mean the articles that i read did say that this book was inspired by adam b directly that it is kind of a print for print in certain aspects isn't it there's a lot of really obvious similarities, similarities. when you start to to dig a bit deeper but I mean I haven't read Adam Bede right. since we read it in our masters so I, my, my brain is not yeah. right, freshed right. up with it Me yeah yeah one we should reread it two do you think that Thomas Hardy was being kinder to the fallen woman because she's allowed to be buried with her child whereas Hetty has and to bury eventually the, the man that she loves oh yes. right that's right Hetty he's has buried to bury in the, same the child place. forgotten that and then she's exiled and Tess obviously what t- happens to her kid? I don't even know. I can't remember it what dies? happens in Tess. Question mark? She, I know she like dies on the altar at Stonehenge, basically, but I don't. I don't know. I don't remember what happens to the baby. Her baby dies. I think. Me neither. I can't remember I in Tess what happens. Yeah, I think almost there's a, there's a, a, a kindness in the fact that Fanny dies in childbirth, right, and doesn't have to face that moral dilemma of now I'm homeless, have no money, and a baby. Right. There's almost a sort of yeah. horrible, sweet kindness in, in that act as well. And also, well, you know, just a plot point, just spurs the plot on anyway. Um. <laughs> okay, so do you guys, after reading Anna Karenina, and I can't, um, I can't remember what we read before that, but I felt like, um, was it uh, Mystery of Udolfo or was it? Um, tenant. No, before this we read the tenant, the tenant of Wild Hall. Hall. Okay, so I yeah. did kind of think this writing was a little bit easier to read. So it's like it was very quick to read it. It's not really I don't get stumbled up and have to figure out okay what's going on, have to reread, and it wasn't quite as long. It flowed very smoothly, so it made more sense to me that it was in episodes that you would read in a newspaper because it seemed like it was more towards um, the masses than the other couple books that we've just read. It seemed like it was uh, written in a very different sort of style. Did you guys think that It's too? very accessible. Yeah, very much so. Very much. Yeah. I think Tenet is quite accessible too, though. Tenet's not very difficult to read. No, it was very quick to read. No, but Tenet, I found the plot, the plot lagged at certain intervals, whereas with Far From the Madding Crowd, I just found that it just bowled through the whole way. Right, you there can tell. There was not one part of that book that I was bored with. You right, know? You, you could tell it's very episodic and very soap opera-like. You wanted to know what was going on the next yes. week. It's a cliffhanger. Yeah. What's going on now? What's going on now? What's going on now? Sort of very Oliver They saw twisty. Fanny in the street, yeah. Yeah, very much like Dickens in his writing of what's going on. So it's almost like there's a switch again now. And like women were writing in the 1800s. And then the men uh, sort of have to figure out how to compete with the women who are now beginning to write and are known for the novels, they're sort of having to compete a little bit because I think the men then 
um, I feel like we learn this take over again in the early 1900s, they become sort of the predominant mm -hmm, novel writers. And sure. so it seems to me like they might have begun to write the episodes and sort of like write cliffhangers at the end of all of the chapters or the episodes in the newspaper, which then draws the masses, gives them a better reading crowd. And then that's how they sort of mm -hmm. transition into then the predominant novel writers of the early 1900s. Well, it'll be interesting then next month because we are reading a Dickens next month, are we not? Are we? We are, yeah. Oh, yeah, Tale of Two Cities, right? Yes, yeah. So, um, and I, I, I don't know yet how that book was published initially, if it was um, in sort of a magazine or whatever. Um, but that will be a, an interesting to read now that we've read Hardy, who obviously deals with the scenic pastoral romance, to read a Dickens, which is always hard and gritty and industrial and, yes. um, you know, two very, very different types of England. And to see how these men have interpreted those spaces as well, I think is going to be really interesting. Very much. I don't just I don't think Dickens ever tries to write from the female perspective. I could be wrong on that, but it's just he's always like maybe an objective narrator. No, I don't think he yeah, does. But it's, did you think that Thomas Hardy, was he believable writing about women? I, uh, yeah, I think to an extent, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't think that anything was super unrealistic or the descriptions were ridiculous or, um, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't really question it really. Yeah. Didn't think about it. I thought he did fine. I will say I did read an article that said he kind of flopped typical gender stereotypes. Um, so Bathsheba is more, more masculine in that she's like, you know, got power. She's more dominant she knows what she's doing she like goes out and checks the rounds and stuff I know Oak does it also but she takes care of her land as a farmer and then also there's that part where she says something about oh I guess it's like I'm courting you to Gabriel Oak towards the end of the novel and he said well it's about time and she like calls herself a rake which is also you know kind of aligning her more with masculine ideals and then Gabriel Oak is more feminine because he's you know passive he's patient um, this article also said he like falls asleep at critical moments which is something that Tess does in Tess of the D'Urbervilles so like that's seen as I guess a more feminine attribute in novels um, and he's definitely more like modest and the moral compass of the novel which I thought was really interesting. No, I also like, I like that um, it does make sense though that they are compatible because even though she is maybe more masculine and Oak shows some, maybe some, you know, I don't know, some female qualities or more sensitive qualities, not necessarily female qualities, but what would they would have maybe called it in the 1800s. Then, um, I think yes. it's interesting where that whole section is where he's he's talking to her and it's before she's meeting Troy and doing that. And even though she's going around and checking the farm at night, he goes around after her and checks the farm. Mm -hmm. Like she thinks like she's in charge of it and everything's going well, but it's really um, Farmer Oak who's making sure everything is okay and that she's taken care of where she doesn't think that she needs taken care of, but he's been taking care of her the whole time. I think that's maybe the secret sweetness of the whole novel. Yes. He's been this like quiet presence that he's, he's, he was in love with her the entire duration of the book. The whole time. hundred percent. But it's, it, and it's so sweet. Cause you know, I, you know what? I didn't look this up, but I'm uh, it's, I think it's kind of interesting that there's two fires 
Like she rescues him from one, but then he rescues her from the second, right? I don't know if it's like a, because normally fire is like sort of like a destruction of something and the rebirth of another thing. I guess you could read it that way in both of those, right? It was a destruction of um, him sort of in, well, it's not really his destruction. It sort of precedes the destruction, but uh, sort of her saving him. And then he comes back and saves her. Well, I mean, it's the destruction of his bachelor life because she saves him yeah. and then... He's in love with her, and that's that's it for the rest of the book. Oh, I didn't think about that. True. Even, uh, I mean, not necessarily a fire, but there's that scene, isn't there, where uh, there's a thunderstorm, and they need yes. to wrap up the hay oh, bales the so they don't get yeah. wet. And the storm, and they're on top of the bale, and her and uh, Gabriel are trying to pull the tarpaulin or whatever they've got over, and it's all very stressful and heightened and emotionally charged. and. <laughs> I bet there's a lot you could say about that. I don't have anything to say about it, but I bet someone could. <laughs> yeah, I think there's some biblical allusions. Well, it's very archetypal. Well. I mean, it's, it's very, very symbolic and archetypal as far as like the storm is coming and, and she's got, you know, it sort of, sort of almost precedes sort of the climax where like the storm is coming and sort of they've got to see like all there's going to be some sort of meeting of the three um, and Bathsheba. There's a lot of very obvious symbolism in this book. Yeah, <laughs> but I like it. I know it's a little bit predictable but um i love it maybe that's why Mm. i like it (laughs) that's why i love it because it is predictable and i know that something good is going to happen at the end because of course his name is farmer oak everybody they want to marry the oak tree who's got firm roots and he's a shepherd so like jesus connection does it say how old he is i don't remember that does it say how old he is 28 i think he said 24 28 it does say remember adam bead he's like 30 33 something like that i can't remember which is always an obvious number for like a christ figure who's a carpenter and adam bead but i didn't remember in in um this one i don't remember if farmer oak if they ever said his age i don't remember if they did or not so there's a lot of of because this was another thing about hardy that i guess i didn't i did just my brain just doesn't go to religious symbolism or anything like that when I read books like this so I need to obviously learn more but he wanted to become an Anglican priest oh, and then interesting and as his sort of architectural career wasn't so profitable uh, his desire to also become a priest sort of fell by the wayside so he obviously was an incredibly religious man I mean that makes sense in this novel he mentions Moses like three times he explicitly mentions Adam and Eve like it's it's everywhere in this book although it is uh, juxtaposed to fate which is there are some things that are sort of just out of your hand so he is sort of like whether yeah. that's predestination whether he's talking about it that way um like it's just fated these are some things that happen and then your sort of response is like that sort of right. that sort of tells us what your moral code is whether you just like move along forward with it which is exactly what they do there nobody's like Oh my gosh, you know, this has happened. They're like, they, everybody just takes it in stride. Oh, like this, then this happened. And then we like move forward mm-hmm. through it. We move through it, which maybe um, regardless of your religious point of view, maybe a bit more realistic. That's about, just life. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff that happens. And then you have to decide. Yeah, I do think it's important to mention that the characters in the novel mess up Bible stories all the time too. So that's definitely some kind of commentary on religion. Like the guy who's named Cain is 
they mixed up Cain and Abel. Oh, that's like, right. They are, oh, that's right. They called right. Jo- Judas Joey at some point in time. Like they're, they're messing <laughs> up the Bible all the time. Oh, well, they actually that says in the beginning they actually have a long story about that where the mom actually misnames him. She wants to name him Abel, but she misread the Bible story and then calls him Cain instead, <laughs> which is really interesting. And then the other characters try to soften the blow, but again they're like taking the situation that sort of happened and making it softer because then they call him Caney, yeah. right? So that he doesn't sound like Cain, mm-hmm. the man who murdered his brother. <laughs> like, I forgot that was oh right. Gosh. I forgot I didn't that they did that. that. That's so funny. I mean, they explicitly tell you that story in the beginning. Yeah. Like they're kind of, they feel sad for him because he has the name Cain and, and they all sort of make up for it by calling him something a little <laughs> bit nicer with Caney at the end of it. Shame. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. We haven't even sort of touched on all of these secondary characters, which again are just a lot of different types of men, um, and yeah. you know, more impoverished men and more wealthy men, and blah blah blah. Um, and they were all also just an interesting cast. You also kind of bonded with the with the secondary characters as well. Right. Well, it's a village. I mean, you know, or it's a farm. Like you can see, like these are. Like, it's the whole farm, and they're all running, and they're all interdependent. Also very George Eliot. Very George Eliot. But they do call call, uh, Bathsheba the Queen of Corn, which I kind of like. (laughs) They call her the Queen of Corn. (laughs) That sounds like something they would name the, like, fair winner at my hometown. Oh, the fair winner. (laughs) Queen of Corn, yeah. (laughs) The Arbish County Fair. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one. Uh, well, I thought it was kind of cute because I don't ever remember them doing that in the film. So, like, maybe that's a little too kitschy. But that, you know, that she at least they're acknowledging that she is like somebody who's, you know, a force to be reckoned with in the community. And then everybody sort of just allows her the freedom. I think it's kind of unusual. They just kind of in the book allow her the freedom to be the queen of corn. Yeah. Does anybody it's... complain about it? Yeah, I don't think she gets much criticism for being single either. Yeah, I don't think she does either. Only by Farmer Oak when he's like, you shouldn't be playing with the men like you're doing. You shouldn't be giving, you know, you shouldn't, you should be, mm-hmm. because there's a little bit of note giving in there, which I thought was kind of interesting because it reminded me about uh, Much Ado About Nothing where there's like some notes and like then somebody reads the note and then she gives him a note. Michelle, that's so funny that you've brought that up because they also, in talking about the pastoral, Much Ado About Nothing and A Midsummer Night's Dream are the two other sort of um, early uh, in the, they say, the Renaissance pastoral no that um, Hardy is directly influenced by. Yeah. No kidding. Well, they, and then, okay, so, and then there's more notes. So, like, in the beginning, there's a note. Oh, oh, I know. Like, the, the note that she or the Valentine that says "Marry mm-hmm. me," right, and that's very bold um, that she gives to Boldwood. But then the letter that um, Gabriel Oak reads about Fanny Robin, like there's just a lot of like there's a note here and a note there, and then this is going on. But I can see much to do about nothing is it's all in the countryside, it's all in the Italian countryside, right? So that makes sense that that's pastoral. But mm-hmm. um, I just thought that that. You know, it's because it's kind of a simple, I don't mean just to make it sound simplistic, but it's sort of a simple book in the background, how the landscape is pastoral and sort of it's the setting um, so that really all you're looking at is the realistic situations that happen with all these people. Like this is, you know, this is a woman who's in this situation, but they don't make it sound like it's that unusual. Do you guys think? No, no. not at all. I think for any eligible young lady who has a fortune, this would inevitably happen. But, but I love that she is like, well, I don't really need any of you. 
Like I, I'm right. fine. I don't need anything. What do I need you for? Like, well, except for Troy, she she does enjoy Troy, and his sword. Yeah, but Troy, he's <laughs> one of those manipulative. Uh, he just wiggles his way in there. You know, he's one of those boys. So, right. Like, there was nothing that she could do. Right. He was going to get a, his hooks in her. Well, and it also says. Um, Boldwood, his one failing is that he didn't call her beautiful. So it actually calls out to her vanity, like because Troy calls her beautiful, that she falls for him, which is also doesn't put women in a very nice light, does it? But (laughs) it's not a good light. (laughs) (laughs) No, out of these three men, I'm just curious, which one would you pick? Oh, Farmer Oak every time. Oak. Yeah, no question. Okay, good. Just, you know, just wanted to make sure we're all on the right page. Absolutely no question. The question is, between Oak and Adam Bede, who do you pick? Uh, oh, oh, that's oh. a hard one for me. That's the question. Uh, well, I don't know who plays Adam Bede in the movie, because Matthew Schoenart says, or however you say his name, is absolutely gorgeous. So I don't know <laughs> who plays Adam Bede in the movie adaptation. That actually is a, a big deal. I hate to say that. That's very superficial. But anyway... <laughs> It's the truth. I, I just, I, it, w- truth. it would be a really hard toss up for me because I don't know why I just loved, I loved Farmer Oak so much. I am absolutely in love with him. I need to give this book to my boyfriend and be like, this is who you need to be. <laughs> <laughs> that and Adam Bede required See, reading. He's a little bit more, um, he's a little bit more, I don't want to say he's not arrogant, but the, Adam Bede is not arrogant at all. He's just sort of like going about his way and sort of rectifying situations with his family or former oak we don't know much about his family he's just like of course you needed me i'm the man for the job when will you finally realize that and then sort of gets annoyed he's got a quiet confidence yeah 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 much more quiet and gets annoyed with her for saying you know when he calls her bashaba and she's like miss everdeen rightly so he's annoyed by that right i mean there's just a couple of times where he's like get over yourself girlfriend like i used to be above you and now you're above me and why this is so silly and then adam b there's never a none of that like um okay so in a sitcom we would call that ust right unresolved sexual tension so really in adam (laughs) b there's sort of not that but in bashaba and farmer oak there is there is some unresolved sexual tension which makes it play out like a soap opera and of course it's yeah it's what you would have in an episodic newspaper it makes sense so Farmer Oak, every time, I think. Maybe even over Adam Bede. I can't believe I'm saying that. I'd have to reread Adam Bede before I could make a proper decision, I think. It's been a, it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Farmer Oak is, uh, he's unencumbered, where Adam Bede has a little bit of family emotional baggage. Farmer Oak doesn't seem to have any. His sheep all jumped off and died, and we don't really know much else about his family. Oh, no, I guess we do. They talk about his... Um, his grandparents, don't they? They talk about his grandparents and his father sort of being part oh, that's right. of the landscape. And they've always been there because all the people who work at Bathsheba's Everdeen's farm really know his grandfather. They don't talk about the ma or the women. They only talk about the men. And then they talk about Bathsheba's parents um, as her mom being this beautiful woman. But then her dad sort of cheated on her, sort of was like off with other women a lot. Did you remember that part? I don't remember that part. No, I forgot about that. Oh, so they do talk about their families a little bit. Her family seems a little bit more um, controversial. His is sort of like they're in the fabric of the land. Like they've always been working on the farm. Which is, he's the thematic center. Yep. It just yeah. solidifies his name, just doesn't it? On. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. Absolutely. So, okay. So 
I think it's it's fair to say we loved this book. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. And we haven't really touched on um, on how it compares to Anna Kay, um, but just in terms of female agency, that was kind of all I wanted yep. to think about was that oh, these right. are both very strong women that happen to be written by men, but are both very strong, independent women who make their own decisions in whatever capacity they can do that. Um, but closing thoughts on this book. Give it a rating. 10 out of 10. Oh, where are we at? 10 out of 10 would recommend. Would recommend. I think people should read this book. It's a nice read. It reads well. It's very quick read. It's very soft. I'm, and it's, it's definitely in my top 10 favorite novels. So I can't say more than that. I mean, it's in my yeah. top 10. Yeah, I added it to my Goodreads. I gave it a full five stars. And if you're going <laughs> to read a Hardy, this is the Hardy to read. Yeah, he's. this has sort of redeemed him for me over Tess. This is over Tess. You like this one? Oh, yes. good. So yeah. he's, he's redeemed himself. Of course, because I hate Tess. Wait, Grace, did you give this a five yeah. out of ten? No, she's saying five out of five. No, no, I gave it the full five stars on Goodreads. It doesn't oh, get okay. better than that. Okay, okay. Um, also, obsessed with Goodreads at the minute. I feel like it's such a cool way to categorize and organize my reading. Oh, good. Yeah, loving Goodreads. Um, but yeah, so next month then, we're going to pivot back to Dickens, who we've read one of his before. We did A Christmas Carol in December last year. Um, so we're going to pivot back and do A Tale of Two Cities, which I'm really excited about because I'm really into the French Revolution at the minute, getting a bit, little bit of an obsession with it. So really excited to read this book, which touches on London and Paris and things like that. So kind of a bit of a transgressing boundaries type vibe um so yeah I'm excited about that how are you guys feeling have you started reading it I haven't started reading it I yet. haven't started yet I haven't started but Oops. I have read it a couple times before of course it is like renowned for the longest sentence in all of English literature right the very first sentence and we all know it was the best of times it was yeah, the worst we're, we're of so times. excited about that yeah, so no, I we all love we all love the French Revolution and that time period and the people writing and Dickens and I'm so happy to read it again. So I love I love a tale of two okay, cities. Fab. I have to tell you well no, I'll tell you that next time. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you next time when we're discussing it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <it>. Save it. <laughs> so I'm excited to read it. Good. Yeah, I need to get started. Um but yeah, cool. So I think this is like episode 12 or 13 we're really steaming through these so if you're listening thank you um and yeah we'll post follow-ups and stuff on our website on our instagram so follow us at book bosom podcast and bookbosompodcast.com and otherwise we will be chatting to you now in at the end of august which is also my birthday just gonna throw that one out there 30th of august is my birthday so (laughs) everyone bookmark it in your calendar um (laughs) (laughs) But okay, well, we'll chat to you guys then. Have a good good month. Bye. Bye. Have a good month. See you next time.